Hello and welcome to From Mrs. to Me, a podcast where you'll be inspired by courageous stories of strength and resilience told by women just like you who have been through the upheaval of divorce. This is their journey from Mrs. to Me, finding their true identity and creating a bold, beautiful life. I'm Chrissy Freeman, and I'm your host, a certified life coach and divorce mother of two. Join me each week as we explore real stories of divorce and what it takes to transform and live in alignment with the real you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of From Mrs. to Me. I'm Chrissy Freeman, divorce empowerment coach and your host of From Mrs. to Me. So there is so much you will gain from this next inspiring story. My guest today has asked not to be identified for personal reasons. However, her story is real. She, we will call her for purposes of the podcast today, Jill. Jill was divorced in 2018 after being married for 21 years to an alcoholic. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology with an education minor. She has spent her career working in pre-kindergarten, special education, and pursuing her love for animals by working in equine psychotherapy and dock walking. After her son was born in 2003, at which time she tried to go back to work, but based upon his needs, she made the decision to stay home for a while to care for her son. In 2006, her son was diagnosed with ADHD, so she became very active in his school, volunteering and helping him thrive day to day. In her continued efforts to advocate for her son, in 2018, he was diagnosed with autism. By 2016, Jill was experiencing some major depression and trying everything to figure out how to come out of it. During this time, when she was at her lowest, she discovered that her former spouse was unfaithful. It was then that she realized it was time to work on herself, and she asked for a divorce. So I want to welcome Jill to my podcast, to being our guest today. There's a lot to unpack here for our listeners, and I think it will be helpful if we can go ahead and, for the audience, hear more about your story. And so if we can start with you sharing where and how you met your former spouse. Okay. Hi. Um, So I met my former spouse at a New Year's Eve party. Funny enough, um, back when I was in college, I was home and I was at a friend of mine's and she, it was a friend of her boyfriend's at the time. And so we met and um, we exchanged numbers and he called me the next day and asked me on a date. And after that, we, you know, went on some more dates and then we kind of were long distance because I was at up north and he was down south at college and we would see each other on the weekends. And then um, it came to the point where For my degree, I needed to either switch into something at the college I was at, which I couldn't because they didn't have it, or move to a different college. So I ended up transferring to his college, and then we moved in together. 
and it kind of just went from there. But we met, you know, young, um, and we were both in our party stage, you know, so I didn't think anything of the drinking, um, because I was drinking too, you know, when we went out to party, but then when we moved in together, that's when I noticed the difference. Like I started to become, you know, more domestic and cooking and cleaning and, you know, doing things that a, you know, potential wife would do. And he just kind of stayed at the, uh, I don't know what you would call frat boy stage. And, you know, he was drinking at least a six pack every night and, you know, sometimes falling asleep on the couch and, you know, we would have conversations and I just always thought that, okay, it's a learning process, you know, as he ages, this will change, right? I changed. I mean, he's got to change. Men are slower to, you know, grow up. Mature. So I just yeah. Kept, yeah. I just kept thinking, okay, this is going to change at some point. And then it became, okay, well, he's going to change definitely when we get married. That didn't happen. Then so I thought, when, well, sorry, uh, let me just yeah. ask you, Jill, when did um, you realize that, okay, you know, I think um, if we get married, things will change. Meaning, when did you make that decision that I'm going to marry this man? Um, you know, I think back and I, I think I, I, I wasn't ready to get married. I was really nervous about it. But I figured, you know, I thought, well, everyone else gets married and, you know, I love and care about this person. And I feel like that's what I need to do. Um, and th- I'm so glad you said that because it just leads me to think about something else real quick, which is, is that something that was instilled in you when you were younger? Was it, okay, you know, you're going to go to college, you're going to mm-hmm. get an education, you're going to meet a man you're going to get married, you're going to have kids. Was that something that you were, a belief you were raised? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, you know, that's the path you go on. You go to college, you get married, you have a job and you have kids. And, and so that's the trajectory that I was on. And, you know, I felt like, okay, I'm going to marry this guy. And then, you know, once that happens, then you know, we're both going to mature some more and, you know, he should, you know, stop drinking as much as he does. And after we got married, it just, you know, it's, it continued. And then it became a contention between us because, you know, he would start hiding it because I was always saying, you know, what are you doing? You're, why are you drinking this every night? And I didn't like nagging, you know, that, right. not the type of, I, I don't like controlling anybody. I don't like nagging, but I was like, if we're going to have kids, you know, we need to, you know, get a healthier lifestyle here. This is not healthy. You drinking every night, staying up late, I'm going to bed, you're down in your office or down on the couch, you know, falling asleep. Um, this is going to change. and. You know, he kept 
saying, yes, I, I know it needs to change. And so he would, you know, say he would make the changes. It seemed like he'd make the changes, but then I'd come to find out I'd go in his office and I'd find hidden, you know, beer cans, whatever. And then he also, um, he also smoked pot and he said he needed to do either, either or. And it came to the point where I said, I think you're trying to self-medicate for something. And, you know, particularly after we did have our child, which I, I said at that point, you really need to change. No more smoking pot in the house. If you want to smoke pot when you're out with your friends, that's fine. But I don't want it in this house. Not with a child. And then once my child was diagnosed with ADHD, then I, you know, started making the connection of, hey, do you think you have ADHD? Do you think that's why you're self-medicating? That you feel you need to have a substance to be able to function in life? Um, and so he started looking into that and started thinking the same thing. Um, but it still didn't change. It, he just, you know, continued. It was like this up and down of, okay, I'm going to really try. And then I kept finding over and over, finding things in his office. Um, and what did, what did trying look like to you? Like, if he said, okay, I hear you, maybe it is ADHD, maybe it's something else, I'm going to try. W- what did that look like? And, and did you see some, some efforts on his behalf? I would see some efforts and it would be like two weeks, mm. you know, and it was this roller coaster of, you know, he, because I could tell when he came home, he had a certain walk about him. And the way he talked, he wasn't quite slurring, but he just, I, I just could tell. Mm-hmm. And he, he kind of walks different. Um, so for two weeks, I wouldn't see that. And then all of a sudden, I'd see it come back. And I, I would check him. I'd say, did you have a drink on the way home? No, no, I had an energy drink. And that was, you know, that was his thing. Um, and did you want to believe him? Like, were there moments? I so wa- yeah. Yes. I so wanted to believe him. Absolutely. And I, th- you know, I, I was so proud of him when he was trying and, you know, um, we would get along better and then, then it would just happen again. And it just kept happening over and over and over again to the point where I just started losing myself and I, I just gave up. I'm like, this is just how it's going to be, I guess. And oh. I don't want to break up this family. Yeah. And, and that's so common, right? This, I don't want to break up the family. It's like mm-hmm. holding on so tight. And then you mentioned, you know, losing yourself. I would love for you to tell me a little bit about what that looked like. Like, who was Jill before the marriage or even at the beginning? And then mm-hmm. who was she at this point when you said, you know, after your son was born, you started to lose yourself? What did that look like? Um, well, before she was, you know, she, she was energetic, um, happy, 
you know, love to be around people. For the most part, I'm kind of an introvert. So I, I, I do like being around people, but I also like to pull back and kind of regenerate. Um, but I would, I would like to go out with my friends and I like to do crafts and, um, ride my bike. And, um, I also liked going to school. I liked learning things. I, you know, I wanted to, you know, have a career. So when I lost myself, I was all about everyone else. Mm -hmm. I was doing everything I could to take care of my child. Um, because I was the only one and, um, and then I was also taking care of my spouse. I felt like I had two children. So I would do everything I could during the day. I would get up, do what I needed to do, laundry, whatever, cleaning, whatever. And then, you know, drop my son off at school, come home, take a nap probably sleep all day, watch TV if I could. But, you know, I did get to a point where I couldn't even watch TV. I was so depressed. I just didn't want to do anything. Yeah. Then I would set my alarm to go get my son, pick him up, pretend everything was okay, do dinner, um, and then go to bed. As soon as my son went to bed, I went to bed. And then I would start it all over again the next day. And I just had no life, no me time, no taking care of myself. I just, I just was a shell of myself. So I want to just capture that because that that's huge. I think for a lot of us is myself included as a recovering codependent is mm -hmm. when you know, we're doing this rescuing and making sure that everybody around us is okay. There's no check-in with ourselves. Mm -hmm. It is mm -hmm. so external fo focused that there's, there's not even an internal component there. It's how do I save everybody, right? Mm -hmm. How do I save mm -hmm. as a mom? It's almost like we put on this hat as soon as we become a mom and a wife. Mm -hmm. There's two, you know, there's, there's this wife right. responsibility that we think is ours. And then it's the, this, when we become a mom, it's a whole other level of mm -hmm. rescuing. And in your case, you had, you know, a child that you had discovered had ADHD. And so you had that component as well. So, you know, in looking at that, did you feel like depleted in that you weren't getting anything for yourself, meaning did you have others in your life that were stepping forward and saying, Hey, Jill, can I help you? Can I, is there anything I can do to support you? Did you have any of that around you at the time? Or was it, did you seclude yourself where you were kind of all alone? Yeah, I didn't have anyone that stepped in and because I hid it from everybody. Mm. I, I would put on that face if we had to go to a family function, if we had to go, if I, I wanted to meet up with my friends, I would, you know, pull myself together and pretend that everything was okay. And then I would seclude myself. So I didn't have any support because I was trying to, I thought, I also felt like a failure in my marriage. I felt like, you know, what did I do to make this happen? Am I causing him to drink? You know, I just went through this whole internal, like, 
phase of, I didn't know, you know, what was causing it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit. I just want to shift for a minute to talk about the, the infidelity and the moment you found out, um, Mm -hmm. that he was unfaithful. Um, you know, lots of women that I speak to talk about how, you know, there's these, this moment when they realize that, oh my God, what am I doing? I've got to go. Um, and for others, it's, they know they've known for quite a while and they try to leave multiple times and they keep coming back. So this moment that you found out that he was unfaithful, was that the moment that you said, I need to get out, that this is what's wrong? Meaning as you're looking at the depression, as you're looking at pulling away, losing yourself, was that the moment or were there moments before that where you recognize that this, this, there was something that wasn't right in this marriage. So that wasn't the moment. Um, and when I did find out, I, um, was really, really devastated. And I decided to stay in the marriage and give it a try. And I did for a year Wow. I stayed in the marriage and he, I said, if I'm going to stay, you need to stop drinking that the end period, you know, the, or this is going to go nowhere. Um, and so I stayed for the year and then it came to a point where I was like, this is not working. I, I can't even look at him. I've lost all respect for him. Um, he was the person I thought would never hurt me. Um, and so I, the moment I, I I asked my parents if I could go visit them in Florida and I went by myself. And when I was there, that's when I made the decision. I said, this feels good for me to be doing this for myself. I'm here taking care of myself. I'm enjoying myself. I need, I need to make a change. And so that's the time where I made the decision and I went back and asked him for a separation. And, and how did he receive that from you? Terrible. He was devastated and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, he did not want a separation. He and I were codependents. And he was very dependent on me. Um, yeah, it was terrible. And he ended up leaving that night. I told him, you know, I, we need a separation. You know, take some time and find a place. Um, you don't need to leave right now. Well, he got upset and left and then ended up, I think, going and drinking. And then he got in an accident. And it just, it snowballed from there. It, w- it was a nightmare. He got into maybe three accidents after that. Um, He almost burned his apartment down, one that I found for him. You know, because I helped him. I was continuing to help him in this process, just trying to make everything okay for him. But I couldn't help him. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I just have to pause there for a second because I think that's Mm -hmm. a key point, especially with those women out there who are codependents is mm-hmm. 
those that rely on us and know about our nature as codependents, Mm -hmm. there's this manipulative behavior that is, is, I think is even subconscious to to Mm -hmm. some degree, meaning I don't even know they fully realize it, but we've created this pattern with the other person that Mm -hmm. is so embedded that it becomes this toxic sort of if I behave this way, she's going to rescue me. Mm-hmm. And and for you, who probably is a high empath, I'm guessing. I am. Yep, is the rescuer. So mm-hmm. I can't let this happen because it's my responsibility to make sure that he's okay. When in all actuality, if we stop and say, wait a second, we are each responsible for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Nobody can control the other person. No one can change someone's mindset. They have to want to do it themselves. But that's why I wanted to just make a point here. So many of us do this, where that's why I think a lot of women, and, and I think your story is so inspiring, is because you still made that decision to leave. I think that Mm -hmm. is one of the hardest things to do when someone is suffering that you still love. I mean, it doesn't just all of a sudden end right after you've been with someone for a long time. And so you still love this person and they're making all these horrible choices that you think are a result of you, something you've done. And so... Um, so tell me now more about how you got through that to actually continue down the divorce process. So I did have, so just before, I think, I can't remember if it was just before this, I had a really close friend, one that you and I both know. Okay. Um, and she took me to a bank opened an account for me separate than my joint accounts with my marriage. And she said, just, she put some money in because at that point I wasn't working still. Um, she put some money in. She said, whenever you get money, put it in, just keep putting money in. And this will be your safety net for when you, you know, make the decision to, to, you know, tell him that you're done. Um, so I was doing that. So that was, that was a big thing for me because, you know, we had been combined for 21 years. So to have my own account and know that that was building and that I can have that to help me get through. So that was a big one, opening my own bank account. Um, and I want to say to that too, because you're the second person I've spoken to recently that head a friend do Mm -hmm. something similar. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's important for the audience to know that we need to lean in to those relationships and to allow people in to help us. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean we're failing. It doesn't mean that, you know, we are desperate or pathetic it means mm-hmm. we're human and sometimes right. we need help. And so it, leaning into those people that want to put their hand out and help us is huge. So for mm-hmm. you, again, someone came in and thank mm-hmm. God for that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that, so that 
came about after the infidelity. So I, I was, you know, I, she probably knew that eventually I would leave. Um, and she kept encouraging me, encouraging me to leave, but I hadn't quite made that decision. I, I said, I want to just give it a try. She said, well, this is going to be your backbone. So this is here. Um, so that was huge. Then once I finally made the decision, I just, I, I don't know. I went into autopilot. I started going out with my friends more. I started leaning on them more. Um, I started, I went to a gym and started this six week challenge. And that was huge for me because I didn't feel good about myself at that point. Mm. And then going to that gym, I, I gained some more friends, some more, um, support. And also whenever I was angry with my spouse and what he was doing at that particular moment, because he would call me and text me and make me feel guilty. So I would take it out at the gym, especially that medicine ball that felt so good to throw on. (laughs) Right. And sometimes I would yell. And so that was huge for me. And I made my goal, um, after the six weeks. And, and so I just kept going and just saying, you know, I'm doing this, I could do this. And, um, I'm not going to let him break me down. I'm I need to do this for myself and for my child. Wow. And so, and then I found, I found an apartment and I used that money that I had squirreled away and um, got myself that apartment. And then I packed up the whole house. I threw a lot of stuff away. I had a yard sale. Um, and I did most of that by myself because at that point my, my ex was really gone. He was, he was in a hole. He, he was, he had spiraled way down the rabbit hole. Um, I mean, he showed up to the closing of the house drunk. So, oh wow! I mean, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, but I just kept my boundaries. Um, and I just, you know, continued to, you know, autopilot, just keep going, keep doing this. And then I, ha- I had the support of that one friend. I had some other friends, but she was the main, you know, like, cause she's a very strong person. You probably know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I have an idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, um, so would you say that, um, going to the gym, doing that 30 day challenge, would you say that was the most impactful shift you made for yourself in the beginning? Or was there another change or shift that you made that, that really was kind of catapulted you to say, I deserve this? That was the biggest thing. Okay. And that, because it made me feel good. It made me, you know, obviously I lost some weight and I started feeling like I looked good. I, and, and then when I met my goal, I was so proud of myself. Um, that I found myself again, you know, that I could feel good about myself and that I could stand on my own two feet. And then once I got the apartment, I felt pretty good about that, um, that I, I had gotten my own apartment. 
I moved everything in there myself. Um, and you know, when the first night that my son and I stayed there, we went and got subway and we sat in the living room and it was just, I just felt so good and so proud of myself. Oh, I love that so much. And those are the moments, those are the empowering moments that literally catapult us to make these big changes because mm-hmm. we realize, wait a second, I don't need somebody else to do this. I need to do this for myself. And that mm-hmm. shows you strength, resilience, so many things come out of that. And so I love that you mentioned that, you know, you did Subway with your son in on the mm-hmm. living room floor. So that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, you know, there's so many changes that we have to make after divorce. And one of them is redefining the family unit because mm-hmm. prior it was your husband, you, your child, and that defined the family unit. And so mm-hmm. how did you redefine that for yourself? I get that question all the time is, you know, oh my gosh, you know, how are we going to do holidays now? And what are our new traditions and all of that? How did you do that for you and your son? Um, well, that was a little more complicated because of the um, alcoholism piece with my ex. Um, and I didn't really, I didn't really focus on how am I going to redefine this? How, how are we going to work this out? I knew that I wanted to stay friends with him and co-parent with him. But he was making that very difficult because he was in a very bad spot. I tried to bring my child, you know, over and let him have him on the weekends. But then my child would call or text me and say, I'm hungry. I, you know, dad went out for snacks and he hasn't been back in like two hours. I mean, he was old enough to be alone by himself, but he has autism for one. Um, he's high functioning enough that he knew that that was not right. Um, but he felt I could tell by him contacting me, he was uncomfortable. Mm. So then I would go and get him. And then that would cause issues with my, with my ex. Um, and it did get to a point where my ex sister-in-law and I tried to put him in rehab. And I was still trying to fix him. I was still trying to do it. Okay. Even though I told myself, you need to stop doing this. I said, if I do this one last thing, um, and I called my ex-sister-in-law, I said, we need to do an intervention. This is ridiculous. You know, my son needs him. Um, Let's try this. So we, we got him kicking and screaming to go into rehab. Um, which was great for the month that he was there. And then when he came out, you know, it lasted for a little bit and then it all went to shit again. Um, yeah. Cause- and that was really difficult for my son because he had to go to the meeting at the rehab and then they had to explain to him what was going on. Um, but I think it was, it was g- good for him to know what was going on. And I think that helped him kind of rationalize or, you know, figure out what 
why his dad was doing the things he was doing because I was hiding it before. So that made him more aware. Um, And what a gift you gave him. I mean, I think that that's something I want to recognize because this whole, you know, we beat ourselves up. So, you know, I heard mm -hmm. you say, um, I rescued him again. But what Mm -hmm. you also did is you gave him a beautiful gift, your son, is you were Mm -hmm. able to show, I mean, he was old enough, right? To be able to Mm -hmm. see, I'm guessing, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, is you were doing the best that you could to keep a relationship between your son and his father. And I was. But yet his father just kept, you know, making all these mistakes and continuing with the alcoholism and the drinking and couldn't, couldn't be the father that he needed. And so instead of him making it a story about himself, meaning your son, you mm-hmm. were able to show him that, no, dad has a problem. And Mm -hmm. this isn't about you. And so even though we beat ourselves up to say, oh, I rescued him again, it was from such a loving place that you Mm -hmm. were doing this for your son because this was his father. And so Mm -hmm. I I just want to recognize that because I think so many women do that. And I think there is a part where we don't need to beat ourselves up because if it's coming from the right place, now, if you were bad-mouthing his dad and saying all these horrible things about him, that would not be healthy. It would not be from a loving place, right? And so I just want to recognize that because I think when you deal with alcoholism, it's a different ballgame. And Mm -hmm. you want to co-parent, right? You want to have a healthy, Mm -hmm. and you can't with somebody who doesn't have the mental wherewithal or capacity to even do that. So you were doing the best that you could based upon the circumstances. And I think a lot of women do that. Yeah. And, you know, it's come to a point now where I've set up my boundaries and I only communicate with him about my child. Um, And I try really hard not to, you know, try to help him or do whatever. Um, and my son is at a point where he's really content. Um, you know, we moved to a new apartment. He has his own, you know, his own bathroom. You know, I kind of made his room like a college dorm room. Nice. Um, so, you know, and he's really content and I can see that. I did have to have a talk with him recently because his dad's mom passed away. And he's now spiraled again, really bad, um, to the point where he was away out of the country because that's where his mom lived. And his sister-in-law found him on the floor with a contusion on his head, passed out. Oh, boy. So I, I, sat, I sat my son da- down and said, listen, you know, dad's mom passed away. Um, I just want to let you know he is drinking again which he was drinking before, but it was uh, for what he said, manageable. Like he was functioning, you know, the functioning alcoholic. Mm -hmm. He was doing that and he was still participating and and making um, the effort to visit with my child. Since he came back into the States after the death of his mom, um, 
he has not been making the effort as much. And so I sat my son down and said, look, I just want to let you know he is drinking again. And I want you to know that you have the option. You are an adult. You can see him if you want. You can give him boundaries. You can tell him that you will meet with him when he's sober. Um, and you, you can tell him you, you don't want to meet with him. It's all up to you. But I just want you to know that if you do go see him, if he's acting funny, this is why. And I just wanted to give you all that information. Wow. And so I think that made him feel better. And he has gone to see him a couple of times. And when he comes home, he'll say, Mom, I didn't notice anything anything off with him. So things went fine. And I'm like, good. But Absolutely. you gave him permission to set right. boundaries with his dad. And that yep. is But I didn't huge. push it. Right. I didn't push it, you know. Yeah. But I just wanted him to have, you know, the information and then to be able to make his own decision. Yeah. Wow. 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 This is good, good stuff. I mean, this is hard. I mean, anyone who has an alcoholic in their lives, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lifelong journey. I mean, mm-hmm. it is not something that goes away until that individual, if that individual ever decides they want to be better, mm-hmm. there is nothing that you can do, but it's a, it's a, it's a never ending battle. And for you, even though you're not necessarily caregiving for him anymore, you're caregiving for a son mm-hmm. who has a father who's an alcoholic. And so mm-hmm. the best that you can do is provide him with tools mm-hmm. so that he knows how he can manage it. And, you know, as right. our kids get older, we do have to start treating them like adults, right? We have to start talking to them and giving them you know, even your son who has autism, we still have to give them the tools, the permission to say, yeah, this is your dad, but you do have the ability to set boundaries for yourself Mm -hmm. with any relationship you have in your life. And that will serve him down the road. And so, wow, I I do, I want to talk a little bit, I want to shift back to you a little bit more. And okay. One of the things I wanted to talk about is identity. You know, Mm -hmm. um, we go, we wear so many different hats throughout our lives. And, you know, marriage is another one of those where um, especially a long-term marriage is Mm. you, you know, create this identity of a wife and a mother when you become a mother. And so I'm curious as to how you went through the process of sort of rediscovery. So after you get out of the marriage, you know, you've got your own apartment, you're Mm -hmm. doing things on your own. And Mm -hmm. um, tell me about the healing around creating, finding who you really are, what your truth Mm -hmm. is. And how did you do that work, that the healing to get there? Um. Uh, well, I did a lot of things and I'm, st- I- I'm still working on it. Like it's, it's not, it's not a one and done thing. It's like, I work on this every day. Um, but I've come a long way. Um, the 
focusing on myself, giving, you know, myself me time, um, and not always worrying about everyone else. That was a huge thing. And I still struggle with that because I'm a giver and I like to take care of people. Um, the other thing that I figured out with myself is that like you mentioned before, I am an empath and I do pick up on people's energies. So I have allowed myself to disengage from toxic people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to do that at my most recent job, which was really difficult for me because I loved my job. I, that was one of the things I, I was really proud of myself for for starting something new that was totally not anything like I'd ever done before working in the airline industry. Um, and I worked my way up. I was a supervisor. I was a trainer. Um, you know, I was operating the jet bridge, which, you know, I just, I couldn't believe that I was doing all these things and I was so proud of myself and I loved it. But the people I worked with were so toxic and I just got to a point and, and I was working a lot. So I was burnt out. I got to a point where I, I just said, I can't for my well-being, be around these people. Um, I felt like I was back in high school. And so I made the decision to leave the job and I haven't quite figured out what I'm going to do next. <laughs> I'm kind of taking some me time because I, I needed it. Um, but yeah, that was a huge thing. You know, the working out helped me feel better about myself. And then, you know, starting a new career and job, you know, I felt really proud of myself that I could, you know, learn a new skill. And I worked myself, I worked my way up, you know, the ladder pretty quickly. So I was proud of myself. And then figuring out, you know, I don't have to stay here to make other people happy. Yeah. You know, my parents thought it was a great job. And, you know, so I felt like I needed to stay to make everyone happy, but I wasn't happy anymore. Ugh. It was a toxic environment and I couldn't do that. So, you know, I've learned a lot of things about myself in this process. And, you know, I've learned that I can do whatever I want to do. I just need to find something that makes me happy in an environment that I can thrive in and, and, and energetic wise is healthy for me. That is perfect. That is so beautiful. What you just said. I just, I have to highlight it because, um, so many people struggle with this career because it's another identity, right? And mm-hmm. I love that you've pivoted so many times throughout your life. I mean, as I was reading your bio in the beginning, you know, going from education to working with animals to then working in the airport industry or airline industry and, but making decisions that are in alignment with you. And mm-hmm. that's why I want to highlight it because I think so many women, we have this script that's written mm-hmm. out for us and it's like, you need a good job. You need a good job because that's stability. 
And our Mm -hmm. parents teach us that, right? And you need a good paycheck and you need benefits and you need all these things. Time out. Right. What about you? How do you feel when you get up every day and you go into that environment? Mm-hmm. What, how does that feel? And that's something that not only we should do for ourselves, but we should share with our children. And so mm-hmm. what a gift, you know, that you're also giving to your son of, you know what? Yeah, I was doing really good at that job. Yeah, it was stability. But the toxicity in that environment was not good for me. And I took mm-hmm. a risk. I left that security of that job because it was not in alignment with my values, with my integrity. Mm-hmm. And I will find something else. And you mm-hmm. will. Absolutely. And you yep, will. That's absolutely. what's so amazing about it. But so yep. many people won't do that. And it's so scary. I love it's that super you scary. did. Yeah. Wow. It's super scary, but I, you know, I said, I just, I have come so far in building myself up. I'm not going to go backwards. I'm not going to accept less than. I love that. Oh, that's mm-hmm. such a good lesson. One I can learn too, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, this has been such an amazing conversation. And um, I want to ask you one last question that I ask all guests. And that question is, how do you define worthiness? Um, let's see. Worthiness, I think, you know, I feel like everyone is worthy of anything. Like, we're all worthy. We, we just need to <clears throat> make sure that we're living our life authentically and for ourselves to then truly feel that we're worthy because once you lose all of that, you start feeling like you're not worthy of anything. And I I was at that point, but now that I've come to this point, I feel like I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of, you know, companionship. I'm worthy of at some point, uh, you know, a good job. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, So I'm not going to sacrifice myself and, you know, to, to get to a point where I'm, I don't feel worthy of things anymore. Can I just drop the microphone on that one? (laughs) You dropped so many amazing nuggets there. Yes. Thank you so much. I mean, your story is so inspiring. I am so grateful that you agreed to do this with me because I know it is going to provide hope and inspiration to so many women out there. So I hope so because I want them to know that they can do it. If I can do it, they can do it. You just need to put one foot in front of the other and, you know, really focus on yourself first. Then it's like in the airplane. If the the oxygen comes down, you need to put it on yourself first before you can take care of the person next to you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So that's what people need to do. Absolutely. It's one step at a time, one Mm -hmm. day at a time, one foot in front of the other. But it's mm-hmm. he, it starts here. It starts yep. with us first. So absolutely. 
Thank you so much for today. And for those of you listening in today, if you're interested in joining the From Mrs. To Me community, find us on Facebook at From Mrs. To Me Rediscovering You After Divorce. And if you like this episode, follow us, rate and review this podcast. And thank you so much for being here today. And I'll see you on this next episode. I hope you enjoyed another episode of From Mrs. to Me, real life stories of real women and their journey of transformation after divorce. I'm Chrissy Freeman. And if you like this episode, please drop a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Do you have a story to share? Are you ready to inspire other women on their journey through divorce? If so, find me on Instagram at From Mrs. to Me. For more tools and resources on creating your path to transformation after divorce, follow my community on Facebook, From Mrs. to Me, Rediscovering You After Divorce.